Welcome to episode 73. Today, author and consultant Anne Benninghoff will talk to us about making co-teaching work for educators and students. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Long before or language specialists were co-teaching. Our colleagues in the special education field were already collaborating in classes and co-planning with their colleagues. And one of those experts in the field is Anne Benninghoff. This is going to be a very practical conversation about co-teaching. Though she's a consultant full-time, she still teaches. Anne co-plans and co-teaches with her colleagues. Anne will provide ideas on how administrators can support co-teaching relationships, how to be on equal grounds with our colleagues, and how to make co-planning central to co-teaching. Friends, get your notebooks out because you're about to take pages and pages of notes for there are so many actionable steps we can take from this episode. I think it's one of the most practical episodes I've recorded thus far. And that's saying a lot. Now, on to today's podcast. I'm so excited to interview and to bring Anne M. Benninghoff. Did I say your name right? You did. Yay, you said, you said my name correctly. And I was like, wow, I was so impressed. I just wanted to make sure that I said your name correctly. Um, you are an internationally recognized consultant and author, and you specialize in uh, students uh, with learning processing issues. Um, and yet you've written a book about co-teaching, which our field has uh, followed the field of uh, special education, and we've now co-teaching more because of that. And so I'm so excited to um, interview you and to talk about your experience in your book. So welcome, and Thank you. I am always invigorated by sharing ideas. So I love to do that and answer questions and get people thinking about how to serve our students in better and maybe perhaps innovative ways. Yes. Would you give me more of your context or your the listeners more of your context or background? Sure, sure. Well, my background is as a special education teacher, and I actually started teaching in a special ed school, um, all students with disabilities, and I wanted to work with kids with very complex needs, really significant disabilities, and that's where in, you know, 40 years ago, that's where those kids were. They were isolated. And I saw such um, negative things happening in a building that was so isolated, that didn't have a lot of community members coming in and out of it, um, didn't really have a lot of oversight. Uh, the kids were kind of just shut away. And I was so discouraged by that. And I thought at the time, oh, it's just you know, it's just the nature of this school. And I, I actually jumped uh, to a job at another special ed school and it was the same thing. And I began to realize this has problems when we isolate kids like this, we've got to be more inclusive. And so I started doing inclusive practices um, back when it was just kind of cutting edge, new topics, new ideas for people to see our students with more complex needs out in the community and in public schools and in public classrooms, general ed classrooms. And so right from very early on in my career, I've been uh, very much an advocate for inclusive practices, but for doing it well. 
Um, then along the lines as a special ed teacher, I decided to write a book called Ideas for Inclusion. I had a dream one night uh, that this is what teachers needed was just an idea book that was very simple ideas. And that was, um, again, very early on in the inclusive uh, practices kind of field. And so it caught on and people started asking me to do presentations for them on the topic. And Eventually, I realized that the co-teaching and being really structured about that was so critical. And so I uh, eventually wrote some books on co-teaching and, and lots of ideas. And, you know, it just kind of morphed uh, where I started doing consulting. But the whole time I have continued to teach part-time because I want to work with kids. Most of us go into the field wanting to work with children. And I didn't want to lose the perspective of what works, what's simple, what's practical, right. you know, by being too disconnected from the classroom level. And so wherever I've lived, I've always approached the local schools and asked to find some way to um, teach part-time. And so I've done that while continuing to work with school districts all over the country and, and all over the world on how to um, improve their practices for serving students who struggle for whatever reason. So while mostly I started in special education uh, and that's where uh, most of my training and experience is, we started to realize that students who were learning English as a second or third language, um, students who were perhaps struggling for other reasons, they didn't have an identified label, but they were struggling, uh, and students who perhaps have been labeled as gifted and are ready for more more rigorous curriculum, all of these different students benefit from co-teaching practices. So I just kind of broadened that topic across the years. I love that. You're a consultant and yet you are still teaching kids. What's your part-time teaching load now? Well, so it's pretty unique, obviously, because of the work that I do all around the, the world and the country and all the travel that I have to do. And so usually what I'm doing is I'm co-teaching um, two days in a week and then um, the next week I'll travel and then I'll be back and I'll co-teach co two or three days in that week and then I'll be back. So usually about five days a month. And so it's a very light load. It's not a typical load, but I work with teachers who want to learn how to co-teach more effectively, who want to improve their practices of um, designing instruction in ways that makes it accessible to all learners. And so those teachers uh, through the school district Kind of volunteer if you will to be in a active coaching model but not the typical coaching model where a coach comes in and observes and then has discussion but i actually teach with them we plan together we teach together we debrief together so it's an on the job uh, in the moment learning experience rather than working just as this expert who's telling you what to do right i love that i wrote the uh, the phrase grounded in practice like you're a consultant and you're an author and yet you're still grounded in the practice and the reality of what teachers are doing right now. And so the suggestions you're offering are like, oh no, I actually still teach and this is what I tried and this is how it worked out. So Sure, sure. Right. And even now in the pandemic, um, you know, with all the virtual co-teaching, what I'm doing is I am still co-planning with my co-teacher and generating ideas. And then I'm also coaching teachers who are teaching virtually. And we're just, you know, I might observe a lesson with them or, um, or I might just sit and co-plan tomorrow's lesson with them to try to come up with ideas that work. And, you know, simple things. A lot of times it's how can we make this a visual um, uh, support for students with disabilities? As an example, yesterday I was working with a couple of language arts teachers who are going to be teaching ethos, pathos, and logos as part of persuasive writing. And they we're talking about how difficult it is for all students to remember the differences between those three. And so on the spot, I said, well, how about if we create some word art where we have the, the P in pathos uh, crying, <clears throat> um, you know, put a little face there and have him crying and the A with a smiley face so that they'll remember that this is kind of the emotional response uh, kind of argument versus uh, logos. Maybe we turn the L into some kind of a badge 
so that the students think about someone with authority and, you know, that expert. And so we just talked quickly about word art and drew up a couple of quick examples. And so they're ready to use that in their teaching. And then also they can teach students how word art can be an effective way to help you remember things so that students can become more independent with creating their own word art rather than us just giving it to them, but that they learn to create that as a strategy. I'm already, I can already tell I'm going to love this podcast because you're already a storyteller. <laughs> like you are, you already basically told us two stories, like the story of how you started an experience where the kids were warehoused. And then you just told us the story of like you working with a teach, like a group of teachers yes, yesterday. And I was like, yes, this is great. Would you tell us another story of like when you clearly uh, saw the, the magic of co-teaching? Sure. Um, one of my, uh, beliefs that might be a bit different than some other experts on co-teaching is that I believe that we do not want to clone the two teachers. Um, lots of people will say, oh, when you go into a co-talk classroom, you should not be able to tell who's the gen ed teacher and who is the specialist. And I tend to disagree with that. Um, if we wanted two gen ed teachers together, we'd put two gen ed teachers together. But instead, what we're saying is that the gen ed teacher has wonderful expertise, but there's a missing piece for some of the students and they need this specialist. And so I believe that we want to, as educators, be able to see and figure out which one is the specialist because we see them doing something special. <laughs> if I can't figure out which of the two is the specialist, it's usually because they're both acting like general ed teachers. Right. Or in the worst case, it's one's the gen ed teacher and the other is acting more like a paraeducator or a teacher assistant and not actually implementing their expertise. So with that background in mind, it just leads me to an experience I had co-teaching several years ago with a, a team of teachers in, <clears throat> in Colorado. And I had four co-teachers that I was working with throughout the year. And about maybe a month or two months into the year, I had this one student come up to me, this fourth grader, and he said, Mrs. Benninghoff, can you see inside our brains? <laughs> and that um, comment just for me made it really, um, uh, made me really aware that I was being successful at taking on the role of learning specialist in the room, that that student could somehow, he wasn't quite sure why things were different with me, but he could see that I was the one that was teaching them about how to learn, uh, how to activate their brains, what are the strategies that will help them retain this information, that I wasn't the content kind of teacher, but that I had something a little bit different that I was trying to do without it being an in inequity between the two teachers. You know, he treated us both on par. He had respect for both of us as teachers, but that he could realize that I was doing something a little bit different. And that's, that's what we need from our specialists. We need their expertise to be brought into the classrooms. I completely agree with you that uh, in a co-taught relationship in a co-teaching relationship like it could be it should, should be very distinct because I know I know I know that when I go and teach in a science class the kids are not looking at me for a science content and if they do I would be like listen you need to go to him you need to go to her because I don't know and I know I'm going to give you the wrong answer but however I can show you how to write the hypothesis because I figured out the structure with the, with the teacher. Mm -hmm. Oh, I know how to uh, talk about the data set together. Right? Here's the language that we can use together to talk about it. Right, right. And if you're co-teaching together for several years, of course, you do pick up in effective co-teaching, you pick up each other's skill set, And so you do become a little bit harder to distinguish but I do still think that there's an efficiency to one person focusing on this, you know, the content, the other one focusing on the learning strategies or whatever that piece is that they bring to the table. There's some efficiency there rather than both people trying to do it all. 
Um, so it does, the nature of the relationships change. Of course, the longer you're together, that is one of the benefits of it is that my general ed colleagues pick up a lot of my skill set. I pick up a lot of their content expertise, right? And we share that back and forth. But generally speaking, there should still be a little bit of a difference between the two. So I have your wonderful book in, in on my Kindle, downloaded on my Kindle right now or my iPad. And the first chapter, I feel like if I, if I don't start talking about the book, we can just talk about co-teaching in general. I'm like, oh no, this is such a wonderful conversation. I need to ground it back in your amazing book. So the first chapter really is talking about um, the importance of co-teaching and what, is the, what are the benefits and what does we should say, say about it? Can you talk about that? Sure. Well, the, the, there are so many benefits for all kids. And that's what we want to be looking at is it's not just the benefits for the students with labels, but the incidental benefit that happens for all the students in the class when we do bring in those unique teaching strategies. So as an example, in special education, my primary job is to address the needs of the IEPs, um, the, the needs of students with IEPs in the classroom, those unique needs. But if I'm working with a small group with a couple of students with IEPs, and we know that there are some other students in the class that could benefit from the same strategy, they can be part of that group and then they benefit incidentally. Sometimes we weave those strategies into whole group instruction and then everybody benefits from that. And it's the same for students who are learning English because a lot of the strategies cross over uh, and we have populations that have multiple labels, right? And multiple needs. So there's just so many benefits for the whole class. Um, benefits, of course, for the teachers in that I'm not feeling like I'm the only one anymore, right? <laughs> I can toss ideas around or I'm in the middle of a lesson and I think, is this working or not? And if I'm by myself, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have anybody to share that angst with. But when I have a co-teacher, we can turn and talk and affirm or change directions. And so that's really helpful too. Um, but in terms of the research, you know, the research has been slowly emerging. The hard part about the research is that everybody defines co-teaching so differently. So it's mm. a very difficult thing to research. There are just so many variables. I'm betting that you and, and all of our listeners probably have heard of people who say, well, I co-taught and it didn't work. Mm. And my bet is that in those situations, the co-teaching was not being done in a highly effective way. Right. And that's why it didn't work. So we can call it co-teaching and say it didn't work, but it may not have been co-teaching at all. If there was no co-planning involved, if there wasn't an equity, if the, the specialist wasn't bringing in their expertise, you know, there's lots of reasons why it might not have worked. And so the research has been hard to gather because of all those variables. But there is uh, emerging research, and especially school districts that are uh, doing action research and looking at their own, that shows that when it works effectively, when it's done effectively, then student test scores improve. That's not the only reason we want to do it, but student test scores improve, student confidence improves, um, student relationships uh, with peers improve because they are not isolated, but instead part of a class, you know, there are lots of facets that show improvement when it's done well. Right. I see that uh, co-teaching is equity in practice. Like we're ensuring that kids who are marginalized, usually the brown and black kids, yellow kids, indigenous kids are not warehouse, right? because we know often they are, um, they are, more labeled, frequently labeled uh, with learning needs than the general population. Right? And when we co-teach, uh, we actually bring them back into the community and say, they are just like everyone else. They can learn together and we can learn together. And so I love right. that part. I totally agree. It's a social justice, civil rights issue. 
I mean, in, in the United States, we go back to the 1950s and the Brown versus Board of Education Supreme Court decision and the very famous phrase separate is inherently unequal. And, uh, you know, it was being applied at that time in this in the United States and my country to students who were um, racially diverse, right, African-American students. But the same principle holds if we're doing that for students with disabilities or students who are English language learners or whatever it is. So it is definitely a, a social justice, civil rights issue. And in special education, our laws actually fall under the Office of Civil Rights. That's where the special education law sits. So I think we forget that sometimes, but I always like to point out that the Office of Civil Rights is, is what is kind of the umbrella agency over special education law. And so sometimes it's helpful to remind us all that that's what we're talking about here is a civil right for these students. And uh, we have to make sure that we're providing that. Right, because education is a civil right. Yes. I was gonna talk about something and I forgot. Oh, okay, because I'm like so deep in the conversation. Okay, right back. You talked about uh, sometimes teachers will say, oh, I tried co-teaching, it didn't work. Or, they, or when I share um, co-teaching strategies, teachers will often say, yeah, that sounds nice, but it's really hard mm -hmm. because of the relationship. Some teachers often say, I wanna co-teach, but my co-teacher who I'm assigned with doesn't really allow that to happen, or it's just the circumstances doesn't uh, create the dynamics for that. How can we do that? Well, I think that a lot of what we hope for is that leadership comes from the central office, the school administration, wherever that lies, depending upon who's listening here, that they have made some commitments in their vision for the school, in their strategic plans, whatever process they have, that this is what we're going to do. And when we have that leadership from the top, then other things kind of fall into place. So as an example, um, I spent a lot of time working with a school district in Colorado who really wanted to transform their services for students who were learning English. They had a couple of schools where the demographics had changed kind of dramatically over about two or three years and had gone from uh, kind of a typical, typical mm, what we would think of as middle-class, middle socioeconomic, English-speaking, native English-speaking community to uh, 78, 90%, you know, in that range of uh, students who were learning English as an additional language. Wow. And so the test scores plummeted and, and they knew they had to do some major things. And so as a district leadership team, they decided kind of on three primary principles. One was that all students would have access to classroom instruction for 100% of the school day. So they just said, that's it. You know, they have to have access to the classroom instruction rather than being pulled out and receiving a kind of a lower level instruction in terms of content. Um, second commitment they made as a district leadership team was that specialized language instruction would be integrated into the content. So this is what we expect to see is that it's going to be integrated right in. It's not going to be seen as an extra thing that you do later. It's going to be part of the process. And then third, and probably most importantly, is that it would be a shared responsibility between the two teachers and that in order to support that, there would be co-planning time. And so co-planning is just so essential if you want to be able to get past that hurdle of, well, we can't do this, or I don't have the time for that. Mm -hmm. You know, when the two teachers are working together, co-planning the instruction, sharing the responsibilities, they figure it out, but we've got to have that time in there. So when we have a leadership team like that, that is saying, this is what we're going to do, we're making a commitment to it. And then they make that very visible and provide the consulting, the coaching, the training, whatever it is, the supports needed, then it works and teachers start to see the value of it. On a smaller note though, uh, so that's kind of the big approach or big answer to that question. But on a smaller note, if you're just a, it just, I don't mean just like to minimize that, but uh, if you're a specialist that wants to co-teach and you're thinking, well, how do I convince this other person or they're kind of reluctant or resistant, what do I need to do? 
I always feel as a specialist that what I want to do is make sure that the first time or two I go into a classroom that I bring my A game. I have to bring the absolute like most exciting, most effective, but simple strategies that I have in my tool bucket. Because then I convince them in that one lesson, like, wow, that worked really well because it was a simple, really highly effective strategy. And, and I took a good part of the workload and the lead. And so they, they think, oh, well, that was great. Um, and then try it again. Like, okay, that one lesson worked well. Let's try again. See what about next week? Can we co-teach again? And I have this other great strategy I can bring. And so we have to be confident enough to put ourselves forward, offer up, really top-notch, not the kind of weaker things. You know, some days we do less effective strategies because we're busy. And I think that's true for all of us. That happens sometimes, but let's bring our A game. And that's what convinces people to want to co-teach with me is, wow, Anne is really bringing something of value. Um, so we have to make sure, you know, kind of to prove ourselves that we're bringing something of value to the classroom. Once they see that, then they're much more open to it. They, they see you, your contributor, and they don't see you as another person they have to manage. Yes. Yeah. Forward to collaborating with you because it makes their workload more manageable. It makes their teaching more effective. Yes. Yes. And they see that students are more highly engaged in the learning process because there are two voices in the classroom, two different styles, two personalities, right? The creativity tends to be there when we put two heads together and all of that boosts student engagement, which leads to better learning. So um, yeah, all of that comes about, but we have to be ready to prove that right away. If instead, uh, sometimes I hear specialists say, well, you know, it's my first year co-teaching. I'll be more in, involved once I learn the curriculum more and you know I've got to kind of stand back and get to know her personality and and they hesitate to jump in and what happens then is we set up this sense that that's what co-teaching is and then it's hard to climb out of that rut we get into you know being the person that's maybe circulating the room or occasionally clarifying or handing out papers and mm -hmm. and it's hard to break away from that when we start that way because we're setting a culture of um, there's a hierarchy already. Yes, yes, yes. And speaking of hierarchy, I'll tell you a, another story about that, that I think we, we, you know, it's just such a little thing, but it can make a big difference. One of the things that I recommend in my co-teaching that works book is a list of 16, what I call successful start questions. And the first question on that list is how will we introduce ourselves? Yes. And I learned the importance of this the hard way because several years back, I co-taught with a science teacher and Mr. Johnson and I, he had, um, he and I had planned over the summer together. We had a, a good rapport. We were excited about co-teaching together. You know, we had planned the first, the very first day's lesson, and we had decided that he would kick it off and introduce himself and then I would jump right in. So um, the bell rang, students you know, took their seats. We had been greeting kids as they came in and they all settled in and he said this, he said, um, all right, everyone, my name is Mr. Johnson. I am your science teacher and this is Mrs. Benninghoff. She's here to help. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> and you know, just like that, he had wow. set up a hierarchy. The good news is he hadn't intended that he just kind of on the spot realized that he shouldn't introduce me as a special education teacher. And so he didn't know how to introduce me because uh, he didn't want to say, and Mrs. Benninghoff is a science teacher because I'm not. So he kind of just struggled for a moment and didn't know what to say. Uh, now, luckily I'm very confident person and assertive person. So I jumped right in and I said, oh, and he's here to help me. And we're all here to help each other. This is a helping community, <laughs> you know? And I, I kind of tried to reset that so that mm -hmm. we were on par, but it taught me the importance of talking about, well, how do you introduce yourselves? And in the EL world, it may not be as big an issue, but it definitely is in the special education world because we don't want to say, oh, Mrs. Benninghoff, she is a special education teacher and she's here because, you know, John and Jason and Brianna all have disabilities, right? We don't want to point that out. And so 
I personally love to introduce myself as a learning specialist um, or an instructional strategies specialist or something along those lines, which is a little more inclusive of all students and doesn't set up stigma. Right, because everyone needs it. Right. Because right. I often um, will present myself and I'll say like, uh, my name is Ms. Han and I am here to merge language and science together. Great. And I'll, yeah. I'll say like, my job is to help you understand social studies text and to write like an historian and to read like a researcher, right? Yes. And then so kids, kids will hear that and it's like, oh, he's not just for the language learners because you all need that. Right. That's an excellent example of how in your field, particularly how to introduce yourselves and, and, and then reinforcing the different types of communication that you'll be working on. I feel like I needed you, this book like years ago when, uh, when I started co-teaching because it was more like, uh, let me step back and let me watch because I, I would spend time like developing a relationship um, and I, I needed you to be like, go in there and provide and contribute and integrate yourself into the lesson. How do we do, can you ask, can you tell us more, uh, more things we could do to make sure that we are part of the class? Sure. I, I'm, I'm fearful of asking like the, what are the things we shouldn't do? Uh, but if you want to talk about those two, um, I guess it's like relationship destroying things, but, but also you can talk about the relationship building things. Yes. So um, I, I years ago created a walkthrough tool or a, a look for kind of observation tool for school administrators. And uh, when they were going through co-teaching classrooms and one of the items on there for them to look for is I say that uh, both teachers should be 95% of the time engaged in teaching and learning. And sometimes people ask me where that number 95% comes from. And so I very honestly admit that I created the tool. So I made up that number <laughs> 95%. I just made it up, but I'd like to explain my thinking on it. And that is that if I'm a teacher all by myself in a classroom, I figure I'm at least 95% of the time engaged in teaching yeah. and learning. You know, I might stop to sip my water or blow my nose, but for the most part, I'm 95, 98, 99% of the time engaged. Right. And I don't see how we can justify having two teachers in a room if both aren't 95% of the time engaged. So I think to begin with just setting that expectation that this is what we, we think good co-teaching looks like, is that both are 95% of the time engaged. So then the, once we have that expectation clear, then how do we get there? And um, there are two different kinds of paths that I like to think about. One is that there are logical uh, times in a lesson that become kind of a pattern probably throughout the week Yes. when the specialist would be well suited to take the instructional lead. So as an example, I recommend often when um, co-teachers are beginning to co-teach that the specialist take responsibility for the activator and the closure in every lesson. And the reason for that is that in my belief, most specialists have extra training in how to get students ready for the learning, how to preview vocabulary, maybe how to grab their attention, get them kind of activating their prior knowledge or you know, their schema around something. And then at the end of the lesson, the closure piece is usually should be about summarizing, restating uh, uh, memory strategies. And most specialists have extra training in those things more so than the general ed teacher often does. And so by having some clear moments where the expertise can be brought in, that can help with the efficiency of planning, but it does get both teachers much more equitably sharing the workload during a lesson. Um, so that's one approach. I'll give you a chance to ask a question about that or make a comment before I tell you my other approach. No, I think that's so, that makes a lot of sense because you're right, we, as specialists, we do have ways to engage students' prior knowledge, to connect to their cultures, to, uh, and then to close to say, okay, now what's the really big thing that we're learning here? What's the strategy that you can now take to other classes? 
Yes. yes. Yeah. I love that. Yes. And it's just a, a good entry point. It doesn't have to be um, so strictly structured that you never move beyond that. But especially when you're just starting and you're not sure, like, how do we use each other's skill set? That can be a nice entry point. Um, but the other thing that I like to talk about is that there are times when one teacher is lecturing and the other one might be wondering, like, what do I do here? Um, I, they're kind of talking a lot. And how do I stay actively involved? And so I created a list of 25 plus uh, things that the second adult could be doing while the other one is leading. And this can go either way. So it could be that the specialist is leading and here are some things that the general ed teacher could be doing during that time or vice versa. And I think having a list like that helps um, in the moment because it's hard to think of like, what could I do right now? <laughs> you know, your, your brain sometimes can't process quickly enough. And so I encourage teachers to put that list up on a wall, like make an anchor chart of maybe, maybe not all 25 things, but five items from the list that are not part of your current repertoire, yeah. but you'd like to make sure that they happen regularly. So I'll, I'll give you some examples um, off of my list. Um, one is, uh, and I'll give you a couple of virtual examples, seeing how we're in virtual instruction right now. Um, if we've got a chat box going for students, uh, the second adult could be typing in some chat stems for the students uh, so that they know, or some talking stems, you know, so that they know what to say. And that could be popping up into the chat. Or um, I might be typing in synonyms for a word that the teacher just used that I think that some students might hesitate, you know, may not know at all. Uh, so I could type in some synonyms for that word really quickly. Or I might grab a, a nearby prop that would help students understand if I could hold this up visually in front of the camera. And of course, all of these things could be happening on a whiteboard back in the classroom too. Um, I might uh, want to get movement going. And so I might have on my list, one of the things is asking students to, you know, stand up in response to a question or snap their fingers or let's do a gesture. I could even do a quick search. I do this quite a bit. I'll do a quick search online for an ASL sign for a word. Uh, you know, let's say we're talking about um, transformation of something, right? I might do a quick uh, search. How do you sign transform or transformation? And then I can show that to the students either virtually or in person. And then we can have all the students do that. And so I'm actively engaging in supporting what's going on in the class. Uh, so just to have a variety of ideas like that, and I have this list of 25, which by the way, can be found um, on my website and I know I've tweeted it out and so forth, but I have a website, ideasforeducators.com and I have a Facebook page, Ideas for Educators. And so if you follow either of those, then you can find a lot of these resources. We'll make sure to uh, add that to the, the show notes. And I, I want to add a few things that I do of my own, like I'm thinking about like, oh, 95% of 95% engagement. Like, what do you do, Tana? And I'm like, oh yeah, when my co-teacher is teaching, I would, so she's teaching at the board and I'm running through the slides for her. So she's not having to run back to the, to the laptop. I'm like, click, click next. And when a kid is saying something or she's saying something that um, the kids don't understand, I pop up Google and I go into the image part. And I show kids, oh, this is the image that we're talking about. Right? Sure. Or I can simply be going into the board and writing down the sentence stems that she's saying, right? And so mm -hmm. it's not intrusive, it's contributing. And I think um, there are three things that I do that I got from uh, Jeff Sears. And he said, you can either um, build on, right? You can clarify, or you can support what the teacher is saying. And so those are the three things that I'm consistently trying to do um, when I'm in co-teaching instead of just sitting in the background and just waiting for my chance to uh, work with language learners. 
Right. We definitely don't want that. And it's true with paraeducators as well. Uh, lots of classrooms do have, not all have, but lots do have paraeducators or teaching assistants in the classrooms. And it's the same for them. A lot of these things that we're talking about, they could be jumping in. They hesitate often because they're afraid that it's not their role or that they don't have permission. I have teachers say, teachers and paraeducators say, oh, I don't want to interrupt. And I always encourage them, we need to reframe this. It's not interrupting, it's enhancing instruction. Yes. Do it and on. When we reframe that, then it's not a, I'm not being rude. I'm seeing a moment here where I believe I can enhance instruction. And if you have a, a good, respectful relationship with your partner and you're talking and communicating, you can go over this list of 25 things and say, hey, do you mind if I do this or if I do that? You know, are you comfortable with these ideas? And, and you get that permission or that shared um, expectation that we're both going to be doing these things. And then you are enhancing instruction. You're no longer interrupting. What I like to do is when I try something new, I'll, I'll try one part of it. And at the end of the lesson, I'll go to the teacher and say, hey, I did this. How did you feel about that? Before mm -hmm. I went like full blown on, on adding more strategies and more structures because the teachers have a flow to their lesson. And I, I, I want to make sure that, okay, let me, let me get some feedback from you first to say, is this okay? Are you liking it? Is this, is this adding to what you're trying to do? Uh, and then, so that builds in that co-reflecting within that. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's excellent. And in addition to that, if you have co-planning time and think of it at that time when you're planning out the lesson, then you can kind of get that feedback right initially. Like, are you okay with me trying this? And do you want me to just try it once? Do you want me to do it in more depth in the lesson, depending upon what the learning targets are for that lesson? And, and then you co-plan and you kind of get that per permission. Not that we should need permission, right? Because when we say, oh, we need permission from each other, it's almost as if we set up that hierarchy exactly. but that that agreement is maybe a better word you know and so you get that agreement that yeah let's try this on a given day uh, i also awesome. think that's it's really helpful to um, consider the design of your lesson plan form so that it has areas built into it that prompt you to think of certain things that you might want to try to do, uh, various accommodations or a TPR or um, structured talk, whatever it might be. And it prompts you to do that so that when you're then sitting to plan, you're like, oh yeah, hey, I was thinking I might want to do this memory strategy uh, for this particular lesson, right? Because maybe your prompt has memory on there. So on my lesson plan form, I have a whole bunch of bulleted items that just prompt us to think those pieces through. Uh, reflection, student reflection, peer-to-peer -peer talk, um, authenticity, movement, multi-sensory things, you know, and that prompts our discussion to plan for that proactively. And you've now talked about co-teaching indirectly four or five times. And I love that because that's the power of, I know that we are in our field, we always talk about co-teaching, but really Andrew Hawkinsfield said, and Maria Dove said that um, you can co-plan without co-teaching, but you cannot co-teach without co-planning. And when I realized that, like my teaching changed completely where I focused my efforts more on co-teaching planning because uh, it maximizes my time with the teacher uh, because when I used to start at co-teaching it was I met with them once every eight day cycle and we had to make sure that one day or that one planning period was effective for into the next planning cycle and I think like co-planning is that antidote to that teacher feeling like oh they're interrupting but they're not if they've already co-planned what they're going to do in the next few lessons. So there's no need to feel like you're interrupting because right. you've already planned in those engagements. Yes, and I like that um, use of the word antidote, <laughs> the antidote to that problem. I think that's very true. Uh, and I know though some teachers say, you know, I but they haven't given me any co-planning time, right? So mm -hmm. I'm supposed to co-teach and they haven't structured it. Um, so we do talk about making sure that you have an online shared document that you both have access to so that you can do some planning using, you know, technology tools. Um, 
I always say you can try to co-teach without co-planning, but it's not going to be effective and you're not going to get the outcomes that you want. So yeah, they can tell you to co-teach without co-planning, but they're not, they're not going to see the results. Um, so there are some things that you can do without planning for them. If, if you threw me into a classroom tomorrow and said, co-teach, you know, I would do my darndest and lots of teachers out there are do, giving it their all their best. But what we have to do as teachers is really advocate for co-planning time and try to get creative about where we might find that. You know, administrators, they don't just sometimes they don't know how can we build in co-planning time. If you're working with three or four different teachers who all have different planning schedules, what can we do? So we just need some creative problem solving around how to solve that. I wrote down... Um... Co-teaching with, I, always, I often share with teachers that co-planning, sorry, co-teaching without co-planning is just really in-class support. Yes. And the only time I use the word co-teaching is when I've already co-planned the lesson or the series of lessons with my teacher. If I happen to show up to a class, and often when I used to work at a school where I, we couldn't co-plan a lot, the, the days that I showed up, I always knew, okay, this is now my in-class support mode. But how can I still be effective for teachers and yeah. students? Yeah. And so I, and I know that this is going out as a podcast and not uh, on Zoom, but I'm going to have you do something and I, I'll have everybody kind of imagine this because, you know, we, we do, as uh, all of your listeners understand the, the importance of gestures, right? And how helpful that can be, that TPR or gesture kind of approach to emphasizing instruction. So I always, when I'm talking about co-teaching, I like to have all my teachers put up their two hands like they do in Karate Kid. Have you seen that movie before, Tom? Yeah. So put your two hands up. And if you're listening at home, you can do this too. And then you know what they say. They say, wax on, wax off. So move your hands, right? Wax on, wax off. But then I, my version of that is co-teaching, co-planning. So do that with (laughs) teaching, co-planning. And then I always like to just say how they go hand in hand. You know, you can't have one without the other co-teaching, co-planning, they go together. And uh, just like in the movie, wax on, wax off. So that's my, (laughs) that's my little moment of TPR gesture teaching. (laughs) Love it. Oh my goodness. It's already, um, we have like nine minutes left into the podcast, but how did, I feel like I could like, this could be like, this is just part one of like part four that I can <laughs> talk to you about. Get the book. It's amazing. <laughs> what, before we leave, what, what is something that you want to tell teachers that we didn't get to talk about? Actually, maybe we should talk about co-planning. Actually, well, actually, I, that is exactly what I want to talk about. <laughs> when you said that first thing that popped into mind is uh, how to co-plan, yeah. because what I have seen in working with teachers, you know, all over the world is that um, often what happens in co-planning is the general ed teacher presents the layout of the lesson Mm -hmm. and the specialist uh, at times says, okay, what do you want me to do? Um, Like how, how can I help? And that isn't what I mean by co-planning. I do think instead that in a shared document, it's helpful for the general ed teacher prior to our meeting to input the learning target for that day. You know, what exactly do we need students to know or be able to do by the end of this lesson? And then maybe input, you know, I'm thinking about using text pages, you know, 72 to 79, or here's an activity I've done before, or this is something that our curriculum requires us to do as a project here, whatever it might be, kind of just the basics. And then as a specialist before the meeting, I, I believe it's my responsibility to preview the material so that when I come to sit down, I have already looked at it, at least scanned it. I don't have to be an expert on it. And that I've started to think about ways that I can provide specially designed instruction or in your field, I believe uh, the, a common term is SADAI, specialized academic, uh, specially designed academic instruction in English. So that I'm not just saying, hey, how can I help? But I'm saying, okay, based on what I know about our students, here are two or three ways to adapt or transform this lesson. And let's figure out how to weave that into the instruction together. 
And so we're then being very purposeful in planning a lesson that is different, um, that it has that specialized piece built into it, not as a kind of a second thought or how can I help, but that I'm actually instructing students. And so that's the kind of conversation we want to see happening in a planning meeting. Um, I actually have a new book that will be out maybe maybe about the time that this podcast makes it on air. Um, and it's called Specially Designed Instruction. And while it is focused on a process for how do we design instruction for students with disabilities, the approach has lots and lots of application to any students that are struggling. But I have seven steps that we go through when we plan together, my co-teacher and I, and we start by just clarifying the learning target, you know, and make sure that we both know exactly what we're trying to do. Um, second step is to talk about what's going to be difficult about it, where are the stumbling blocks. Third step, identifying those individual objectives, whether they're IEP goals or perhaps language objectives. And then the fourth step has been just a game changer for me, and that is to consider what the metacognitive process is that a successful learner uses, a yeah. su successful student or a successful adult. What is that metacognitive process that they're going through to understand this and, and to grasp it? And when we can really make that um, concrete and visible to students, that can be a wonderful way to transform what might not be so visible in the curriculum, the typical teaching approach. Um, so that's step four. And then step five is to make those adaptations for students, whatever that might be. Um, step six is to talk about executive function skills that might be necessary. You know, do we have students that are having trouble attending? organizing, uh, prioritizing, persevering, you know, what are those executive function skills that we might weave in? And then finally, how are we going to boost participation? Uh, because you can have the best laid plans in the world, but if students aren't participating, <laughs> then it's not going to be very effective. So my number one go-to for boosting participation is often small group instruction, but it can be, um, you know, supports to structure student talk, cooperative learning, uh, gamification, you know, adding fun. There can be lots of ways to boost participation, uh, but we want to make sure we talk about that. So when we go through those seven steps, we do that pretty quickly. Usually we can plan a full lesson in about 10 to 12 minutes so that in one 45 minute period, we might get a co-planning period. We might get through kind of, um, uh, planning, at least in general, planning three lessons out. And, and then we might have to come back as the week goes on and plan those last four or five. Oh, wow. I was going to say, I was going to ask, what about teachers who run between schools and they only get to plan with their teacher once every five days or six days or seven days? Yeah. So again, I would say try to do as much as possible with some kind of a social shared document so that you're putting information in there. Um, and we would try to kind of hard plan the first three lessons and maybe just soft plan the last two. You know, you don't want to plan those too far in advance, the, that fourth and fifth lesson, because things change as the week goes on, right? It's never, it never turns out exactly as we thought. So you don't want to hard plan those, but if you can at least get a general sense of where you're headed with that and a couple of ideas sketched out that might just be partially planned and then you do talk to each other throughout a lesson you know and at the end of the lesson if you have two or three minutes here or there and and then we have to use some of those things like texting and emailing and all of that to uh to make up the difference it's a challenge if you're if you just have 45 minutes a week but i have been able to do it myself and we have to just be really efficient with our co-planning time, not wasting time talking, you know, letting the conversation drift into all kinds of other things. So I, one other tip here is I always suggest that the co-teaching partners need to identify one of the two to be the timekeeper and kind of taskmaster and say, okay, this is going to be your role. I won't be mad at you if you shut me off when I'm talking about my Christmas holiday, <laughs> or, you know, I won't be upset if you tell me, okay, I can't, we don't have time to look at your photos right now um, because one person takes on that role for the sake of our students, right? Okay. We need to be efficient and task oriented in these planning times to plan instruction and not be talking about a lot of other things. Exactly. I often tell teachers that when uh, you can plan for uh, 
like a day by day basis. And if, if you are, if there are lots of days in between, you can plan on the big ticket items such as assessments, rubrics, projects, because even if you're not there, by the eighth day that you come back, the kids are still working on the assessment that you have co-planned, that you have scaffolded, you have added the, the supports that they need into it. And so that's how you, we can maximize. So instead of we shift from day by day planning because you're not there day by day, uh, you, we shift to a big ticket item planning. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, I have, I'm, I feel like I need you back to, to keep talking more about your book and your um, specially designed instruction. Is that it? Yes. Yeah, because you, you have that in your book here. That's the first time I saw the acronym. I'm like, ooh, I need this. And I just love spending time with you because I could tell that the experience is coming out of you. Like you have this depth and this clarity. You're, you're very much like Beth Skelton, like a, a friend of the podcast and the community. You're so clear and you're so very practical in your suggestions. And so I am excited to find ways to have you back to share more because I'm learning so much. I'm already, I already feel like I'm a better co-teacher right now, just <laughs> from our conversation. Well, thanks, Tan. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, it is through the sharing of ideas that we all improve and, and we want to do that for the sake of our students. It's all about the kids. So every time we face those difficult moments, every time maybe we're hesitant to have a courageous conversation with our co-teacher, if we just keep coming back to for the sake of our students, we need to do these things, um, then that reorients us to make sure that we're doing the right thing. Well, let's end the podcast with uh, traffic light teaching. So there's, I'm going to give you different lights. A red light is something that you ask teachers to stop doing in relationship to co-teaching. A yellow light is something that we could do to slow down our co-teaching. And then uh, a green light is something that we could do as much as possible during co-teaching. And then we'll end the podcast there. Okay. You can, you can do it in any order you like. Okay. Well, um, I'll start with the red light just because I want to um, end on a more positive note. <laughs> so uh, my stop for co-teaching would be to stop trying to look like a general ed teacher. Yes. Uh, if you're if you're the specialist, stop trying to do that. That's not the job. The job is to be a specialist and bring that expertise to the classroom. Um, the yellow, you said during co-teaching, how do we slow down? And I'm going to be kind of take that very literally and say wait time. Yes. Wait time is so critical in classrooms. When we ask a question, when we give something for students to think about, uh, I find specialists and general ed teachers often over talk and particularly when there's two teachers in the room, we yes. want to jump in and clarify or say it a different way. And, and we forget that we still need to give that wait time to process. So slow that part down, make sure you're not over talking. And then green is for planning. Go, go, go with your proactive planning and make sure that you're planning in that that special, uh, the ways that we're going to support students uh, in whatever, scaffolding, uh, TPR, um, visuals, gestures, structure talk, all of that. Is that seven-step document that you have on your website? You said that. Right? Um, I'm not sure if it is. It is something that I have posted uh, online, but I will make sure after our discussion today that I that I add it. I have kind of a downloadables link on my website. And so I will make sure to add that to it. Well, my green light for listeners is to then please follow Anne on Twitter and read her book and go to her website because I guarantee you, you're going to learn so much. If you enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love her resources. I'm just taken by all that you're offering so far. Thanks so much for having me, Tan. I'd be happy to come back and talk with you again in the future. Before we recap this episode, I have a favor and an invitation. My favor is to ask you to please review this podcast if you found it valuable so that teachers like you become inspired and informed in their advocacy work. My invitation is for you to enroll in my scaffolding learning or teacher collaboration courses. 
I've taken the principles that I've learned from experts in the field. I've applied them to my classes. I kept the things that worked and I'm sharing all of them in these courses. I hope you consider enrolling. Now onto our recap. I feel like this conversation was a co-teaching intervention for me. I approached co-teaching with a build on what people bring to the table mindset. Anne suggests that we be even more proactive by adding to our colleagues' ideas. I like how she said that from the first meeting, we have to give teachers a strategy that is easy for them to implement. And with that, we'll have small wins. And with small wins, we'll earn our colleagues' trust. A collaborative rapport will then be built on these small little frequent wins. Anne also repeated the need to co-plan and not just to co-teach. You've heard this from many, many podcasts already. Co-planning is where we can move from an aide in the back of the classroom to an eco-designer of instruction. Additionally, she provides a clear seven-step process during co-planning, which can be found on her website. Finally, I really appreciated how Anne provided several strategies that the second adult is doing to contribute to the learning while the other adult is leading instruction. One strategy is to identify different parts of the lesson cycle. And the teacher can say, I will take that part consistently. The second suggestion was to create a list of things that the second adult in the room is doing while the other adult is leading the teaching. This way, we're not waiting in the back of the room to start supporting students, but we are actively contributing to students' learning. Again, she has lots of downloadables on her website, which I'll link to the show notes. I encourage you to invest in her book as there are so many great ideas available. I've written an article on the three commitments of co-teaching based on this podcast conversation as well, which again, will be found in the show notes and on my blog. In the next episode, we'll have legendary coach consultant, Dr. Jim Knight, talk about teacher collaboration. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode.